You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Hello and welcome again to another edition of Game Changers Clinical Conversations. I am your host, Jeff Wall, Professor of Pharmacy Practice at Drake University. Welcome and uh, hope you uh, uh, find uh, today's uh, topic interesting. We are actually going to be talking about uh, the new asthma updated guidelines published in uh, uh, just a couple weeks ago, not to be confused with the, the uh, GINA guidelines, which are uh, the other set of big asthma guidelines that were published earlier in the summer. So we have kind of dueling guidelines going on here, kind of what happens in, in diabetes. Um, but uh, that's what we're going to be talking about today. Again, I want to take a, take a second to welcome everybody. Uh, for you longtime listeners, thanks for listening again. Uh, if you do like what you hear, please head over to where you get your podcast, click that like button, uh, subscribe to us, tell your friends, tell your family, tell everybody. Um, and and uh, hopefully we get a lot of people listening. And as always, want to, want to uh, thank our producer, CE Impact. Uh, that's the other thing you should really check out is head over to their website, ceimpact.com. They have tons of great CE, including CE for this uh, series of, of podcasts. And so you can get uh, a, a CE just for signing up for a very uh, economical fee and get about the easiest CE you could get just by listening to me blather on for, for 20 minutes every week. So it's not too bad. Um, though this week, uh, again, longtime listeners will be glad I'm not going to be blathering because I'm going to let my expert guests do most of the talking, which is exactly how it should be. And I want to thank uh, Kelly Cunningham, um, my colleague here, who's the pediatric clinical specialist at, at Blank Children's Hospital and uh, a friend of mine and a valued colleague who's going to be helping me walk through these guidelines because these guidelines, uh, you know, as always, asthma is a disease that affects all ages, but in particular uh, affects pediatric patients. And so uh, um, I very much value her expertise in, in, in discussing those. So welcome to Game Changers, Kelly. Thanks for having me back, Jeff. No, not at all. And, and again, I appreciate you taking the time, uh, especially because we're all running around with our heads chopped off uh, with the COVID and everything else that's going on. So why don't you tell me a little bit about uh, the, what, what you uh, thought about the guidelines and, and what you kind of noticed is, is, is some of the changes and how are you going to, to implement these changes at, you know, at the practitioner level? You know, are you going to counsel your, your, your pediatricians about how to implement these and you know, uh, how are you going to talk to patients about it? Yeah, I mean, as everybody listening knows, asthma is a huge impact on the healthcare industry, um, costs more than $80 billion a year um, in admissions uh, to the ER, admissions to the hospital, uh, outpatient usage. Uh, additionally, the other crazy thing uh, within the pediatric population is studies have shown that asthma disproportionately affects minorities and those that are more socio socioeconomically disadvantaged. So uh, studies have shown that black children in particular have the highest asthma mor morbidity and mortality rates out of any other U.S. group, um, and twice the number of emergency visits in the hospitalization with a much higher mortality rate. So all of those things are going to play into, I think, selection of what agents and what guidelines are followed uh, in the in the real world. So um, the U.S. National Asthma Education um, and Prevention Program guidelines that just came out here in 2020, uh, really the primary difference uh, is they only addressed about six key steps. So you know, the initial guidelines or the last updated guidelines of these came out in 2007. So these were long overdue. Um, they started looking at articles um, back in 2017. So definitely um, maybe missed a few years of some updates of things that have come out, which uh, could maybe explain some of the differences between the NAEPP guidelines and the GINA guidelines that 
are typically updated annually. So uh, the biggest the biggest change, I think, and the biggest difference between the two is the NAEPP guidelines in step one still recommend just a PRN, short-acting beta agonist, um, like albuterol, whereas the GINA guidelines basically came out and said, no, we should be using a low-dose inhaled corticosteroid for motor oil com uh, combination. And the studies for that were pretty dramatic, where they showed a two-thirds reduction in severe asthma exacerbations uh, in patients that utilize the combo versus uh, SABA only. So that's pretty, pretty resounding uh, difference between uh, the two products in terms of asthma exacerbations and control when you're trying to keep kids and and uh, some adults out of the emergency room. Right. Uh, you know, and I agree with you. I, yeah, I remember when the GINA guidelines came out, you know, and again, the recommendations are, this, are similar for adults. And, you know, uh, that was, uh, you know, and they really kind of, when the GINA guidelines came out, they said that was like the one thing that was in bold print right on the very front of it. It's like, we are now recommending uh, uh, inhaled corticosteroids even at step one, which again was brand new, you know, and, and, and I mean, for many, many years, you know, the step one was, you know, only PRN. So you're right. I think that that's a, that's a huge difference. And I wonder how, how, you know, Kelly, how, how you know, certainly cost is going to play a role. Patients can't afford inhaled corticosteroids and they do call out from, from mineral because of, of the big study that showed that difference. And, you know, it, it's interesting throughout Gina and throughout these guidelines, they do, you know, they say, you know, we, the reason we're picking for mineral is because we got paid by the drug company, it's because, you know, this is the study and we really can't say it's, it's, a, it's a class effect yet. So, I, you know, I, I guess my question for you is, especially, you know, when you're talking to parents who are going to be like, well, hold it. I, you know, my, my kid is 12 years old and he's had asthma since he was five and I've, you know, but he's really only had problems in the winter. He's really only had problems when he goes outside, you know, so we're, we've been, we've been really good about, about, you know, just having PRN, you know, uh, albuterol and now, you know, steroids, that sounds scary and, and all that. So, I mean, you know, how, how, how do you how do you approach that with patients, do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think that's going to be the challenge. And a lot of the uh, a lot of the guidelines and even the NAEPP go on to talk about if, if a patient, despite what step they're in, if a patient is well controlled on their current asthma, um, their current asthma pathway that they have, uh, that there's no need to necessarily change them. I think the bigger question is going to be is you know, what are we going to call that control? And ultimately, you know, I think some of the things that can play into this are, aside from cost, are, you know, the GINA guidelines go on to talk about how there's a 60% reduction in severe ex uh, exacerbations versus a SABA alone, which is pretty huge. Um, the other big um, advantage to using a low-dose ICS uh, with Formoterol in particular is it's easier for education of parents for compliance. Uh, you kind of provide that consistent message that, hey, you just have one inhaler. Whenever your kid's sick, even if it's twice a year, if you use this uh, as opposed to that short acting, uh, that they actually showed that it uh, is not only more effective, but it's actually easier in terms of compliance and uh, just that education. You're saying, hey, when you're sick, this is the one inhaler you need. You don't actually need to use two. Um, and so I think that in, in some respects, that is, um, that's definitely a huge advantage to the GINA guidelines recommendations over the NAEPP. Um, you know, you kind of mentioned the formoterol as a, you know, as the agent of choice that has been what's been studied. And part of that, it has to do with formoterol has, uh, you know, a very rapid onset and it, 
its design with the steroids allow the max total dose um, to be well under what you need to for both control it to be used as a controller and a reliever. So, I mean, I think the utilization of these combinations uh, definitely are going to play a significant role in in patients, uh, you know, in terms of compliance and adherence um, versus maybe those that are better controlled. And I guess the question would be is if you're having an asthma exacerbation with every time you have a viral illness, are you really controlled? And I think that that's going to be one of the big questions. You know, obviously, if any of those patients end up in the hospital, the first thing that we do is if we no matter how many times you have symptoms a year, if you end up in the hospital for treatment for an asthma exacerbation, that automatically kind of steps you up to say right. you need an inhaled corticosteroid. So I think some of that's going to play in. Um, and it, it's going to be interesting in the coming year and the coming couple of years to see how providers truly decide to utilize, uh, you know, whether they're going to continue with just a PRN Saba or if there's going to be additional buy-in to this ICS for Motorol combination, but I think right. cost is going to play a huge issue. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, the the new the, these set of guidelines and 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 the Gina guidelines. Uh, the other thing they really kind of downplay at least somewhat. Um, I think previous to guidelines is is Montilicast. You know, uh, you know, and it seemed like when I came out of school in, in the early years that that you know uh, a lot of pediatricians really liked Montilicast because you know it it wasn't scary. It didn't have steroids with it and all that other stuff. And it seemed to be you know uh, it had you know it was it was well tolerated and have a lot of side effects. And and it 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 seems like both you know Gina significant downplayed uh, the, the use of Montilicast in adults particularly. And while it is an option as an alternative, um, you know, it seems like like they they don't, you know, really uh, talk much about them in the guidelines. And I think, again, it's because while they may help with symptoms, they they, they don't seem to have as good a control as, an, as, as inhaled steroids do. And I think we've always kind of known that. I think I think the trade-off, you know, at least in adults was always, you know, eh, you don't have to take an inhaler, it's way less expensive, it's generic, and all that other stuff stuff. Um, so I, you know, I, I, I wonder if, 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 if patient, parents of patients go like, well, I'm really scared about the steroid stuff. What about Montilicast? And I, I think, you know, I, I agree with you. I think it's, it's something we have to just say, you know, I think we need to do a better job of, of educating patients and, and parents saying, you know, you, you know, the long-term side effects of these drugs are actually pretty decent as, you know, I mean, and, and, you know, I, I don't know if there's new literature out there on, on, you know, growth inhibition or anything like that, you know, missing growth targets with, inhaled corticosteroids? I don't think there is. Is there? Um, no, I don't think so. What I will say is, you know, Mondelucas has kind of fallen out of favor for a couple of reasons. One, it now has a black box warning, you know, with behavior issues among children that they've uh, certainly correlated with. And secondly, they've basically found that it really doesn't do much in terms of preventing severe exacerbations, which has really become the focus of the NAPP and the GINA guidelines is trying to prevent those severe exacerbations that land patients in the hospital that contribute to that $80 billion uh, cost per year um, from a healthcare uh, perspective. So the question is, is how much bang for your buck are you really getting? And you're probably not getting a whole lot. Right. Uh, so I think that's the biggest, the biggest thing with that. And, you know, globally, I think, um, both the NAPP and GINA guidelines both both touch on the fact that the new idea behind this quote unquote smart therapy or the ICS for Motorola combination is even using that as a reliever and a controller, you're still globally, especially in step one, step two, if you're only using it intermittently, 
um, you know, with exacerbations or, you know, whenever you have a trigger, um, you're actually having a much lower corticosteroid uh, accumulation, so to speak, I guess, per day um, than other regimens. So in a lot of ways, the use of the SMART therapy is not only decrease the number of severe exacerbations, but globally, it's decreasing the amount of corticosteroids that we're actually, um, that patients are actually getting. So, you know, that can be, uh, you know, for a a parent um, that's concerned about the growth, um, you know, and that sort of thing, that can be actually a really good selling point for the new ICS for motor oil combinations. I, I like that a lot. And, and I, I think that's a great way to play, you know, to play. It's like, you know, if we're, if you're concerned about it, then, then this strategy, the smart strategy that they talk quite a bit about in, in these guidelines is, is actually right up your alley because yeah, you're not getting that daily use basically. So yeah, I really like that as well. I, I'll, I'll, I'll admit my, my, my ignorance on this and many things, but but this in particular, uh, it, for, it, it, do you feel like uh, uh, the dosage format of for, for for Motorol will will be okay for you know for uh, uh, small children to use, you know, parents and small children to use? Is you know it went or you know in your opinion, I guess a, a better way to phrase that question might be, you know, are there any inhaler devices or delivery systems that besides nebulizers that you kind of feel are 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 you know better or easier to learn in in in, in young ages? Yeah, that's a great question. Actually, um, we actually use inhalers even in kids under a year of age in the hospital. Um, wow. the, the biggest thing you need to do is you have to have a spacer. And ideally, actually, the guidelines and all of our respiratory therapists at the hospital recommend the use of a spacer for any age child up to adults, just because inhaler technique is so difficult. Uh, the caveat to that is you can't use an inhaler that is... Um, inhaled act uh, actuated to where you have to you know kind of have that deep inhalation in order to you know actuate the inhaler um so utilizing any of these inhalers um either the combo for motorol ics uh agents that are available um in the u.s market both of those are not set up that way so they work very well with a um work very well with a spacer. So I'd say that's the biggest thing is, you know, whether you're working uh, in a clinic, in the hospital, or even retail, I mean, a spacer is key to making sure that uh, you have good uh, delivery of, of, the, of the inhaler, uh, just because utilizing that, as you can imagine, with a child, even as an adult, is somewhat difficult. Uh, so it really helps increase uh, better delivery. Right. I, I, I cannot, I mean, I'm sure I would have learned to do it if I had needed to, but in my mind, I'm trying to imagine my, my kids when they were small and me trying to like coordinate, you know, getting the, the inhaler and the spacer in their mouth and having them, you know, you know, yeah, I just, yeah, that's, that's, I'm glad to hear that, that, that there's, you know, that you guys feel that, that with the spacer, that that's doable and you're still getting pretty decent amount of drug in, 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 in the lungs. That, that's good to hear. So yep. the, the next thing I want to talk a little bit about, um, it, you know, and, and I think the gene guidelines going to some detail about this is is the you know that we're really starting to learn that there's these very distinct phenotypes of, of asthma right so you've got eosinophilic asthma and you've got you know il5 asthma and then you've got non-atopic asthma and, and things along those lines and the the guidelines uh, the, the these updated guidelines uh, you know talk a bit about how how important it is to get uh if, if you find that it's an atopic asthma and that's obviously the majority of asthmatics is you know if you can find those triggers and get them for immunotherapy that that's pretty important do you, do you guys do that. I mean, I, my, my, my 
feeling is that a lot of kids do get immunotherapy with bad asthma, but, but maybe that's, that's incorrect. That what's your kind of feeling on that, even though I know it's more of an outpatient thing, you know? No, I would say, yeah, you're a hundred percent right. So if, especially if they're in those higher, uh, more severe categories, getting up into kind of step four, step five, uh, type categories, they do start looking for those. I mean, one of the biggest baseline things for, uh, asthma globally is, is, avoiding triggers and trying to figure out what those triggers are, whether it's changes from hot and cold to the weather, whether it's, you know, viral uh, induced from rhinovirus, influenza, RSV, those types of things uh, versus, you know, in some of your adolescents or adults, whether that's vaping or children that are exposed to, uh, you know, smoking and smoke, smoking homes. So all of those things, plus your environmental triggers definitely are, are play a big role. And you tend to see, um, those patients that require uh, higher amounts of steroids and kind of are seem to be have a higher amount of uh, severe exacerbations and more uncontrolled asthma, a lot of them do end up uh, being those that need some sort of immunotherapy and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I mean, we will, especially with severe exacerbations, that's one thing that, you know, any patient admitted to our ICU as well as, um, you know, out in the, in the clinics, if they're kind of more of an uncontrolled asthma. I mean, a referral to pulmonology is definitely key. Uh, and, and really looking at, you know, what kind of additional uh, biologics that may be helpful uh, for those patients, especially if they have, you know, elevated IgE and, and, other, um, and other triggers of, of that nature that would benefit from those uh, agents. Right. Um, yeah, no, and, and, and I, 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 again, no, don't know what the status of most of the biologic is in, in the pediatric population. I would assume omalizumab is, is, is probably been studied at least in, in maybe, you know, kids down to 12 or, or something along those lines. I, I do wonder if some of these newer, uh, biologics, which, I mean, you, you know, you read some of the studies with these, uh, especially the, the IL-5 drugs and, and they're pretty impressive. I mean, they're, you know, you've got these patients who are, you know, they're the worst of the worst of the worst, you know, asthma patients and they've got multiple hospitalizations and they have to be on oral steroids all the time and, and all the other stuff. And they're, you know, able to, to decrease hospitalization significantly. They're able to, to get them essentially off of oral steroids. And of course, you know, as with all biologics, the big super duper strike is just how unbelievably expensive they are. So yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful that if, if those studies don't exist, I'm, I'm hoping somebody is, is working on those because, you know, at least in the adult population, it certainly seems like in this, you know, it, it's, it's a small percentage, probably 5% or less of, of of the worst of the worst of the worst of patients with asthma, but it, it certainly seems to be a lifeline for these patients and especially gets them off of steroids. So, And I would say I've seen it firsthand where we've had kids that keep bouncing back into the ICU and then they go out and they get biologics outpatient and we don't see them again. So wow. yeah, I agree. They're completely, uh, they completely change the, the course of asthma for those patients in which, you know, kind of fall into that category. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely full support of them. Of course, you know, like you said, cost is the biggest uh, prohibitor and, and that sort of thing that becomes uh, a major issue. Right. Right. So, well, cool. Well, like I said, yeah, thank you very much for this. Uh, you know, th this was a very nice review and I appreciate your expertise. We're going to wrap up here in just a second, but first a word from CE Impact, our producer right now. Game Changers discusses clinical guidelines and pharmacotherapy trends that significantly impact practice. Game Changers is produced and accredited by CE Impact and hosted by Dr. Jeff Wall. New episodes are released each week and available for pharmacy continuing education credit to CE Impact subscribers. CE Impact subscription service brings you the CE you need on the topics that matter the most. 
Check out the link to sign up in the show notes. Use code PODCAST for a Pharmacy Podcast Network discount. So dueling guidelines a bit um, um, uh, uh, that I think are both worth reading, especially if you're a primary care uh, provider uh, or a pharmacist working in, in, in the community setting or the hospital setting. Um, and like and like all things, you know, this this is a definitely a disease where where the pediatric uh, uh, um, patient is is should be front and center. I mean, it should be with all diseases, of course. But but but, you know, asthma is one of those diseases that really does affect people across the spectrum um, and. And, and so, you know, you know, at least, you know, viewing these guidelines, I think, are reasonable. Uh, the nice part about about uh, these set of guidelines, you can actually go to the NIH website and you can actually go ahead and just and just uh, download a little card uh, that's literally just an at-a-glance guide to the 2020 focused updates to asthma management. And, and like the GINA guidelines, it's, it's all step-derived step and it's all, you know, by age group and stuff like that. So, you know, if you get a chance, go go, go and read those. But I think I think that the key piece um, is to keep in mind is that inhaled corticosteroids, uh, you know, have, in particular fomenterol has, has really, really uh, been changed as far as, as its placement in these guidelines. We're using them much sooner, but we're also using them, uh, at least that particular agent as, as a controller, as well as, a, as a, a, a drug for symptoms, which is, again, pretty brand new, I think. So I want to thank my, my uh, colleague and my friend, Kelly Cunningham, for, for giving her expertise. I really appreciate it. And hopefully she likes this enough. She'll come back again next time we have a PDF topic because I don't know anything about pediatrics. So thank you very much for being here, Kelly. I appreciate it. Thanks, Jeff. All right. Well, thanks very much for listening, everyone. Again, uh, head on over to uh, to where you get your uh, your podcast. Hit that like button. Subscribe to us. Uh, tell all your friends and family, and head over to CE Impact and take a look at all their great uh, CE programs. Don't forget, Expo is coming up for for uh, CEI. Um, I've been honored to speak at Expo uh, for many many years. It is a tremendous uh, uh, program. All sorts of great CE, and just because it's virtual this year does not mean it's going to be any less uh, uh, rigorous or any any less informative. So please head over and check it out. We will catch you next week. Thanks for listening again. And remember that time flies. I don't know where it's going, but the most important today is today. Take care.